If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Revelation 19. We've been in this series called Heaven. This is the third message in this series, and it's entitled The Marriage Supper. And um, I want to just start by uh, walking through some things in regards to understanding marriage in the Jewish culture, understanding marriage in the time of Jesus, and how there's lots of things that Jesus would say that uh, I think have a great meaning, have a deeper meaning that maybe we don't always pick up whenever we see these things in Scripture. And so I hope to bring those things uh, to life today. And um, before we begin, understanding that in the Jewish culture there was this engagement period, this betrothal period, I just want to share with you a little bit of a story of my own as far as how Brady and I got engaged. Now, men in the room that have asked that lady in your life to be your wife, do you remember that moment? Yeah, one person's like, yes, every other guy here needs to listen up very, very soon, okay? Were you nervous? Yes, no, maybe? I was nervous, and I had a game plan. I was going to ask Brady to marry me when we were in Chicago over family Christmas. And so I had lined up a supper that night. We were going to go and surprise a few family members and say, hey, we're going to be married. I kind of anticipated her saying yes. If she said no, it would have been very awkward. <laughs> but um, so I had these things planned. We went to a museum down in Chicago, and there was this Millennium Park. And that's where we were going to, to have this moment take place. If you've ever been to Millennium Park, there's this silver bean, like a reflective bean. Maybe you've seen this before. That's the park I'm talking about. There's a skating rink at this park. And I thought, it's Christmas in Chicago. It's beautiful. The snow, the skating rink. We'll get some skates. And she walked in. She goes, what are you sharing right now? <laughs> we'll get some skates. And I'm going to propose to her on this skating rink. It's going to be amazing. I have this all planned in my mind. I had the ring in my pocket ready to go for this moment. We're at the art museum. Do you think I was thinking about art? <laughs> no, I was totally game planning. How is this going to go down? Well, we get to Millennium Park and we get to the skating rink and the line for skates goes all the way out the shed and all the way around this skating rink that is filled with hundreds of people. And I'm thinking, are we really going to wait around for a couple hours for a pair of skates? And wonder why are you so set on ice skating when you've probably never been ice skating before? And Brady goes, well, I suppose since we're on Michigan Avenue, maybe we could go shopping. And I'm thinking, no, we've got to do something before we leave Millennium Park. I said, see that bean up there? Let's go back up to the bean. You know, like, what's the deal? She at that point kind of wondered... There's something up with Russell. And uh, I'm getting nervous and more and more nervous as we're going. And we get up to the bean. And wouldn't you have it but like a class field trip <laughs> at the bean. All these kids admiring this reflective bean. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to do this here with all of these kids. Uh, this is, I want a little like, you know, in the moment kind of thing. And so off on the side was this amphitheater where they do concerts at this park. And I said, let's go check out the amphitheater. 
there's nobody over there, really. That's what we're getting it down to here. And so we walk over there. We finally have this private moment. And I get ready to propose. And I put my knee down into a slush puddle. <laughs> and at that point, though, I really don't care about my knee. We're going to have this happen. And so I had asked Brady to marry me. And I think she kind of knew what was coming. And she took off the ring that she had on that finger to put this other one on, and, and that one went rolling down the sidewalk, and I'm just thinking, this, this just keeps getting worse and worse, but she said yes. She said yes. Despite all of that, must have been my good looks, or I don't know. I mean, even that I don't think is why. But in the midst of all of that, the nervousness, um, I was really cranking on my lip. I was very nervous and by I bit through my lip and it was bleeding okay and so you imagine when you get engaged what happens after they say yeah right there's the kiss and the and she goes your lip is bleeding <laughs> and so we didn't even get that moment but she said yes we got engaged and we're happily married and I sort of give you that engagement story you know we obviously have a culture here in America of how we do weddings. You know, there's the engagement period leading up to the wedding. There's the wedding and then there's the ceremony. And we're going to walk through and understand what marriages look like in the Jewish culture. And I think it's going to illuminate for you some of the teachings that Jesus gave that help us understand He's got a big thing for us. He's got a lot in store for the bride. And I don't know if you know this or not, if you're guys in the room, this might seem kind of awkward, but if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're considered the bride. And there's a marriage that's taking place, and there's going to be a marriage supper that we're all going to partake in, and we're going to walk through that today. But before we read and get into the scriptures, let's share a moment here in prayer together, asking the Lord to guide us here in this time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to get into your word together, to hear from you. And Lord, I pray that you'd settle our hearts to receive all that it is that you have for us today. I pray that your spirit would anoint and bless this time, help us to hear from you. And I ask for your grace in delivering this message, and Lord, that you would use me all to the glory of God. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so Revelation 19, there are several victory songs that are taking place in heaven. And the specific one I want to highlight here is starting in verse 6. John says, I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crashing of loud thunder. And here's what was being said, or sung, or shouted. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Take note of what we're wearing. This fine linen, the proper clothing representing the good deeds of God's 
holy people. If you remember last week, I talked about the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to be rewarded for the good things we've done in the body that we've been given. And then the angel says to John, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. You know, often in Scripture, there's moments where there's this marriage language, a wedding banquet maybe in a parable, or, or perhaps understanding uh, the relationship between us as husband and wife and how that's a picture of Christ and the church. And if we go to Ephesians chapter 5, Paul breaks some things down in understanding this bride as the church and Jesus as the groom. And as Paul is addressing husbands and wives and that marriage relationship, he likens it to Jesus and the church. And it's very interesting. In verse 23, Paul mentions that the husband is the head of the household. He's the head of the relationship, just as Christ is the head of the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands. But for husbands... We need to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Well, he gave up his life for the church and made her holy and clean and washed her by the cleansing of God's Word. And he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And Paul also says that a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two are united. They become one. And then he says this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So just in that understanding of a husband and a wife, so we have the picture of Christ and the church. And like I said, there's many wedding parallels that we see in Scripture, and I want to walk through what a Jewish wedding would look like. And the very first thing that would take place is there's a marriage contract. There's a contract that takes place, one that's signed by the parents of the bride and the groom. The groom would pay a dowry or a down payment to the parents, and this would begin the engagement period or the betrothal period. And I'm just going to stop the car for a second. I know we are living in different times, but gentlemen, listen up. If you're not married yet, go talk to her parents before you were to ask her to be married. I feel like that's something that's gotten lost in our culture. A respect for the bride's parents. That was just a little moment there where we just stopped the car, but I think that's a sign of respect. And if you can't ask the parents, what are, what are the reasons why? And there might be legit reasons with the relationship strain or what have you, but I think there's a respect that can take place when you ask for that blessing. But a contract would be made between the parents, and the groom would pay a down payment to the parents, and it would begin this engagement period. And the groom would then go back to his parents' house, and he would start building on adding an addition to their home. Now imagine, ladies, 
You're going to go live with his parents. But that's how things took place. And these extra rooms that were built on were called mansions. Not necessarily what we think, right? But these extra rooms, these additional rooms that were put on were mansions. And when everything was ready, he would go back to get his bride. And then he would bring her back to mom and dad's where they would live together. And I think this is very interesting because perhaps you've heard Jesus' words before, but you've never thought about it in a wedding context. But in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking with his disciples on one of the last nights that he's with them. And he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And then he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. Some translations, he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Interesting, right? And he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. And then he says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. Interesting. And then he says, when everything is ready, I will come back and get you so that you can be with me where I am. Then he tells the disciples, you know the way to where I am going. And I want to point out that he doesn't say, you know the place where I'm going. He says, you know the way. You know how to get there. Well, one of the disciples, Thomas, says, Lord, we don't know the way. How, How can we know the way? And then this famous verse that you've probably heard before, Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. But have you ever just thought about the, the wedding terminology there, the marriage terminology as Jesus is talking to the disciples and the things that he's preparing? We talk about that dowry or the down payment to the parents. Jesus paid that. In 1 Corinthians 6, Jesus says, Through Paul, you're bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, he says, Since I betrothed you to one husband, and that one husband is Christ, he says, I've presented you as a pure virgin unto him. So that language even, that betrothal, that engagement. So there's the marriage contract, and then when everything was ready at the groom's parents' house and he was going to go back to get the bride, there would be a torchlight parade through the streets. And the groom with his male friends, he would go to the house of the bride at around midnight, creating a torchlight parade through the streets. And such a parade would not be a surprise to the bride. She's expecting this. And she knew well in advance that this was going to happen. And so she would be ready along with her bridesmaids for this torchlight parade. And they would all join this parade and end up at the groom's home for the celebration. You know, what's interesting is Jesus gives us a parable in Matthew 25, about ten bridesmaids. And perhaps you've heard this before, but they have these lamps. These lamps that allow them to be able to see at night. 
And they need oil for these lamps in order for them to burn. And five of them had enough oil. And five of them did not. And I want to read this to you in Matthew 25, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Can you guess which ones would be foolish? And five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked each other, Please, give us some oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. And then those who were ready went on with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. And later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. What's interesting with this parable, oftentimes in Scripture, oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just give you some truth here in regards to salvation. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's something that happens supernaturally inside of you. The Bible calls it being born again. The Holy Spirit does that work in your heart. And when the Holy Spirit comes and does that, I want you to understand something. He stays. And He lives in you. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit. Something that God is coming back for. And so as believers in Christ, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have oil in our lamp, so to speak. And in this story, five had oil and five did not. So in other words, the ones that truly have the Holy Spirit in their life, they will get to be a part of this marriage feast, this banquet that is being prepared. Notice a couple things for those that didn't have oil in their lamp. They tried to get some from those that did. You cannot ride the coattails of someone else's salvation to get into heaven. If your spouse is saved and you're not, when you stand before the Lord, God's going to ask you what you've done with Jesus, not what your spouse did with Jesus. If you're a kid that's listening and you have a mom and dad who's saved and they come to church and they love the Lord, you're going to stand before God. And God's going to ask you what you did with Jesus. And you can't say, well, my mom and dad are believers, so you should let me in. I'm going to say, my mom and dad took me to church, so you should let me in. You're going to have to answer the question, what you did with Jesus. Is there oil in your lamp? Is the Holy Spirit in your life? Because you've received Jesus Christ. We all have to answer that question. So there's the contract, there's the parade, 
and then there's the marriage supper. Now, during the time of Jesus, the marriage supper itself would go on for days. And we see that in John chapter 2, the story where Jesus turns water into wine. He's at a wedding celebration. And some of these weddings would last up to seven days long. Could you imagine that? We're going to go to a wedding and then a seven-day-long wedding reception. How many father-daughter dances do we have to watch, right? (laughs) Imagine the bill, parents. Yeah, imagine saying, well, I can't come into work this week, I've got a wedding. This was the culture. And they would celebrate together. And I think it's interesting that these celebrations would last for seven days, one full week. Now I'm going to present to you a viewpoint here in eschatology or the study of end times. But in Daniel chapter 9, he mentions there's 70 weeks prophetically that are going to happen. And 69 of those weeks have taken place. But there's one week that remains. The 70th week in this is called the Great Tribulation that's going to take place here on this earth. Now I think it's interesting that some view that the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place in heaven while the earth is going through the Great Tribulation. I think it's interesting, if you look at the Jewish culture, a seven-day-long wedding celebration, one week, that 70th week remains. And whatever your view is on end times whether you think you're going to be here for the Great Tribulation or not, please understand the marriage supper is something that will take place. And most theologians would put this marriage supper of the Lamb right after the rapture of the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. And some would actually put it at the start of the millennial reign of Christ when He literally steps foot back onto this earth to reign for a thousand years. Like, that's one of the first things that's going to take place is the marriage supper. Next week, we will be covering the millennial reign of Christ. If you're kind of like, what is he talking about? Come back again next week. Tune in with us next week. We'll We'll be touching on that topic. But understand that the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place. No matter what your end time view is, this is going to happen where the groom, Jesus, will come to get his bride, the church, and there will be this banquet, this celebration. There's a couple of parables Jesus gives in Matthew 22 and in also Luke 14. And he talks about this wedding banquet. And there's invitations that are sent out to all of these people to be a part of the banquet. And Matthew highlights that people refuse to come, even though they got the invitation. Luke highlights that people started making excuses. I'm too busy. I've got other things going on. I've got other obligations. I can't make it to this banquet. And the king, realizing that people are saying no, he says, go out and invite all these other people that didn't get the invitation to begin with. And so in the midst of this, they start inviting the poor and these people that are down and out, and they get invitations to this wedding. And they're all there at this banquet, and the king happens to notice a man not wearing the proper clothing. I think it's interesting, when we were reading Revelation 19, I said, notice the emphasis on the clothing that they're wearing. 
That was back in verse 8, that the church had been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, and that linen representing the good deeds of God's holy people. If you're not wearing the appropriate linen, it means that you're not really God's people. And so he's booted out. He doesn't get to be a part of the banquet. And then Matthew ends by saying, many are called, but few are chosen. There's a great invitation that Jesus gives to be in relationship with him, to be a part of what's going to take place in the future, but few people truly choose to receive Christ in their life. Many are called, but few are chosen. Revelation 19 and Luke 14 say, blessed are those who are going to be at that banquet. Blessed are those who are going to be there. A number of years ago, Brady and I, we were at the Family Life Weekend to Remember down in Des Moines. Perhaps you've heard of these conferences that Family Life puts on. They're all over the country. You can go to them for a full weekend. And the speaker there gave a story about his daughter who was invited to play. She was a musician for somebody's wedding. And this wedding was out in Seattle, Washington, big city. And after the wedding, they had this reception in this skyscraper. And you go all the way up, and there's this reception hall. And you imagine the city view and the amazing things that were taking place. They ride the elevator up, and they get to the floor where they're able to go in to the reception. And when they get there, they see this long, tall, glass staircase that takes them up to the wedding reception. And at the base of this glass staircase is a man who's there sort of doing the check-in. And it's his job that he will check your name off when you arrive and see you into the banquet. And they come up to this man and they give the man their names and he's starting to get confused because he's not finding their names. She sang in the wedding. Surely, she's in there, right? And he says, well, let me go check on a couple things just to see what's going on. And he comes back and he says, unfortunately, because your name is not in this book, I cannot let you into the reception. And they're confused and they're just kind of wondering what in the world is going on. And they're escorted to the elevator and down they go back to the vehicle. And as they're driving back to wherever it was they were staying that night, it dawns on her. Yes, I was a musician and I played in this wedding, but I forgot to RSVP to the reception. Then she began to just break down and start crying, just to think, something so simple, I missed it, and we weren't able to be a part of the celebration. And I share that story with you. Some people think, I'm here at church, I'm good to go, right? Have you responded to the invitation that God gives through His Son, Jesus Christ? That is your only way into this banquet. Not by the good things that you do or you wish that you can be there or I've lived a fairly decent life. It's what have you done with Jesus Christ. That's all that matters when it comes 
to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is Christ a part of your life or is he not? So I have a few responses for us in light of the word today. And the first thing is to be ready. Be ready. Are you ready for heaven? Have you responded to that invitation? Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Or is he just, if you will, that Sunday morning obligation box that you have to check? But is he a part of your life? Are you ready for heaven? I think it's important. We're going to take a moment here and just kind of stop the car, if you will. If there's somebody listening right now that you don't know if you're ready, let's make sure that you're ready. Respond to him. Understand that we're all sinners. And we need a Savior, and that's why Jesus came to this earth, to pay the penalty and the price for sin. That dowry I spoke of earlier. He paid the price so that you can have a relationship with Him. Have you responded to that? Have you asked for forgiveness of your sin and received Him into your life? If He came back today to take those with Him, to this marriage supper, would you be in attendance? If there's any doubt, when you think about that, I want to settle that today. And so let's just take a moment and pray specifically over anyone that wants to receive that salvation. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the gift of salvation that you have given through your Son, Jesus Christ. And perhaps there's someone listening right now that there is doubt. There is concern about whether or not they would be in heaven. In this moment of the marriage supper of the Lamb, will they be there? And Lord, I pray by the power of your Spirit, you would help confirm that as they respond to you in faith. If you're listening right now and you desire to receive Christ, I ask that you'd pray with me. Pray with me in your heart and just say, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin, that you'd cleanse me, make me new, come and live in my life. And I receive you in your Holy Spirit, Help me to live for you, to walk with you in this new relationship. And I thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you. Now with every head bowed and eye closed, if there is somebody that prayed that prayer to receive Christ with me today, would you just simply acknowledge that with me by lifting up your hand? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Just lift your hand up and right back down. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these responses today. 
I pray that you would make that decision so real in their life that they would be born again, receiving your grace, receiving your spirit, and walking with you in this new path of being right with God and ready for heaven. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm not done. Okay? I wanted to stop the car for those that need to get ready. And I'll take this moment here to just say, for those that did pray to receive Christ into your life, one resource we can give you right away is this resource called Now What? It's available at our welcome desk. It's basically a next steps guide for you in your faith journey. If you're watching online, we will have a website you can see in our comment section or even at the end of the service, we'll give you the website for that to be able to view that electronically. It comes with a free Bible and we want to hook you up with that. Also consider our Got Questions Sunday School class, a place that you can come and just ask questions. What does this mean? What does that mean? Great place to start if you've got questions as you're new in your faith, and uh, we want to celebrate with you. Just for a second, we don't often do this, and if you're like, wow, this is weird if you're a guest, but in heaven it says there's more rejoicing over one that comes to the Lord than 99 who are living righteously. Could we just celebrate the fact that people gave their life to Christ today? Praise the Lord. I'm trusting there's people at home that prayed that prayer. And we just simply are thankful to the Lord for what he's doing in our midst today. The rest of this response, church, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, a big one is to stay pure. We live in a world that is constantly trying to dilute the purity of believers. Stay pure. When Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 11 that he betrothed us to one husband, Jesus Christ is a pure virgin, he says, I'm afraid that some of you are being deceived by Satan and that your pure devotion to Christ is being tainted. Paul even says that to the church in Corinth. Satan wants to rob the purity of God's people. And when that angel was speaking to John in Revelation 19, John is so blown away by this that he falls down at the angel's feet to worship him. Do you think this is a good idea? Who are we to worship? God. Not angels. God. The angel goes, I want nothing to do with this. And he says, don't worship me, I'm a servant of God. But one of the things he says in verse 10 is, worship only God. This angel, this holy angel that shows up to John, you'd think, well, I could see where he'd fall down, that's a pretty significant thing, right? I mean, in that moment, but here's the thing, in our culture we get so caught up in all this other stuff that takes our devotion to Christ. We're worshiping other things. And this angel says, worship only God. Stay pure in your devotion to Christ. And that angel also says that the essence of prophecy, 
these things I give you that are going to happen in the future, the reason for prophecy is to give a clear witness to Jesus Christ. The angel was trying to emphasize the greatest thing, and that was Jesus. And so as we go through this series, we've been talking about things that are going to happen in the future, and I hope, I wrote this in my notes, may this message give a clear witness to Jesus Christ. That we're ready, that we keep ourselves pure, and this last one I kind of tossed in as a bonus. But let's be people who invite others to this banquet. Who's the last person that you shared Christ with? Who's the last person you planted those seeds with that maybe they would come to know Jesus Christ? Have you ever planted that seed? These are things God asks of those who are his followers, is that we're inviting people who aren't yet a part of this banquet. And that's our response as followers of Christ. Be ready Stay pure and invite. And now I'm going to close this message for all of us in a word of prayer. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, as we respond to your spirit today, I pray that, Lord, you would help us to stay pure. Help us to worship only you. There are so many things in this world that would strive for our attention and our time. Father, I pray that we would give our focus and our energy to things that truly matter. Father, areas where we've fallen short or sin that we've been entangled up in and the baggage that can weigh on us, Lord, I pray that we could let that go. Help us to be pure. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who are inviting others to this banquet. There's people that are in our lives that need you and that are not ready. Help us to be faithful in talking about Jesus. I'm not talking about inviting just to church. You can have conversations that lead people to Christ any day of the week. Help us to plant those seeds. We ask for your grace as we seek to apply the things that you've placed on our heart. We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.